This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. And welcome to episode number one of Let's Get Real on Film Geek Radio. I'm your host, Andrew Johnson, and welcome to the show. Now, because this is the first episode of the program, uh, before we get started, I should probably fill you in on what exactly this show is and, and, and what it's about. Essentially, Let's Get Real is an interview show. This is a program where I talk with filmmakers, producers, actors, writers, and other people in the business about their work. And these might be people you've heard of, but if you're just an average moviegoer, in all likelihood, I'm going to be talking to people who perhaps aren't on your radar. They're people whose films maybe are only receiving a limited release. Uh, maybe they're from overseas. These people could be long-established veterans of the business, such as my guest today, or they could be new up-and-coming filmmakers whose work shows a lot of promise. Um, and in all likelihood, we will not have a bunch of A-list celebrities on this show. I mean, it's, it's a possibility that every once in a while that might happen. And if there are any publicists out there listening, you know, let me know who you'd like to have on and, and, and we'll talk. But this, this isn't a show about celebrity gossip or sightings or, or getting huge names on to boost ratings or anything like that. This is designed to be a show where I sit down and have some heart-to-heart conversations with people in the business whose work I think you should consider checking out, regardless of who they are. The one thing that's going to unite all the guests on Let's Get Real is that they're all going to be very talented people, and they're going to be people who I think are producing interesting work. You know, I'm not going to interview people whose work I haven't seen. That's not what this show is about. Uh, there are plenty of websites and publications out there that do that. That's fine, but that's not how I operate. I typically don't interview anybody until I've seen their work. And if there ever comes a time when, where I haven't seen their work in advance, I will let you know. I'll be honest about that. Because I understand that by having people on the show, you know, they're in a sense promoting themselves and their work. And I don't want to promote something that I don't at least find interesting and think might be worth checking out. I don't want to waste my guest time, and I certainly don't want to waste your time, dear listeners, talking about something I'm not familiar with, and that may be a piece of crap. I don't want to do that. I, 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 I only want to talk about films that are unique, and even if I don't love them and think that they're the greatest thing ever, at the very least, you know, th- they're going to be films that I find interesting on some artistic level, and that I think might make for some interesting conversations. So, I- I- is that clear? Are, are we on the same page? You know, I, I hope so, because um, I, I want to make sure everything's clear about what the show is going to be. Let's dive into today's episode. I don't want to drone on for too long here, but I think it's important to give you a healthy amount of background about today's guest and, and what we're going to be talking about because there's a lot to unpack. My very first guest for Let's Get Real is a man whose name you might not know off the top of your head, but who is a tremendously influential person in Hollywood. He's worked with a lot of people you have heard of, and he's worked behind the scenes on a lot of big Hollywood productions. His name is Jim Whitaker. Now, who is Jim Whitaker, you ask? Well, he's the former president of motion pictures at Imagine Entertainment, where he produced films such as 8 Mile, Friday Night Lights, Cinderella Man, American Gangster, and Changeling. 
He is now the chairman and producer of Whitaker Entertainment at Walt Disney Studios, where he's recently been working on the upcoming film from director Peter Hedges, The Odd Life of Timothy Green. So, you know, as Ron Burgundy might put it, he's kind of a big deal. He's a studio executive. He runs a lot of things. He's responsible for making sure movies get made, and he has a lot of influence over how exactly they get made. But he's actually not on the show today to talk with me about any of those things. You see, for the past 8 to 10 years, Jim has been working on his directorial debut. He stepped out of the producer's chair, and he's been focused on developing his own artistic project, which is actually a documentary about 9-11 called Rebirth. How appropriate, then, that he's our first guest on the show, because we're actually launching the network, uh, Film Geek Radio, as a whole on the 10th anniversary of the September 11, 2001 attacks. Now, that's just a coincidence. I didn't mean for it to turn out that way. That's just how things lined up. I certainly don't want you to subconsciously associate Film Geek Radio with September 11th, but it is what it is. Now, this is probably going to sound like an obvious and rather understated thing to say, but to put it mildly, 9-11 was an important event. You know, it seems like every generation has a date or an event that marks, that, that, that marks them and sticks out in their minds. Something tragic that sweeps the nation and that they can remember exactly where they were when it happened. For my parents' generation, it was probably the assassination of John F. Kennedy. For their parents' generation, it may have been the attack on Pearl Harbor. But there's no doubt in my mind, dear listeners, that the defining moment of my generation of Americans was the attack on the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001. I can still remember it like it was yesterday. I was a freshman in high school, my family had just returned from living overseas, and I was going to an American high school in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I was only going to be there one semester before going back overseas, and I had no idea what I was doing. Now, I don't want to get into too much detail about my background, but as I mentioned, I had been living abroad at the time. I was experiencing a lot of culture shock from being back in the United States. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know the teenage mores and the culture, and I was feeling rather lost. So anyways, I was sitting in keyboarding class, of all things, learning how to type properly on Tuesday, September 11th, 2001, and suddenly this other kid that I didn't know runs into the room and says, turn on the television. A plane just crashed into the World Trade Center. And all of the classrooms at my school had television monitors in them, but the woman teaching that class refused to turn them on. Now, to her credit, she was just doing her job. She was trying to keep everyone focused on their work. And at that time, it's not like it was really clear what was going on anyway. But that was my first inkling that something major had happened. This random kid running into the room and saying, turn on the TV, a plane just crashed into the World Trade Center. And it wasn't until my next class period, which was Spanish class, that the teacher turned on the television and allowed us to get some sense of what was occurring. And I still remember that moment and the days that immediately followed 9-11, seeing those towers collapse, seeing the video and the photographs of the horrible death and destruction that was occurring, and, and being so scared and so confused about what was happening. But we were all feeling that. 
you know, if there's anything positive you can say about September 11th, it's that it really did unite the country. And for a while there, it seemed like everyone in the country was, was on the same page. Everyone was affected. Everyone was grappling with how to handle this one major event. In that respect, I went from feeling like an outcast to feeling like I belonged, like, like I was part of this thing, this event that was larger than myself. Like we were all in this together. I'm, I'm never going to forget that experience and that, that horror and that questioning. You know, who did it? Why is it occurring? Where do we go from here? And, and that last question, the, the where do we go from here, that's the main subject of Jim Whitaker's new documentary, Rebirth. You know, there's no doubt that September 11th had a huge impact, not only on the United States as a nation, but on the world as a whole. I mean, when you think about all of the major cultural events, that have happened over the past 10 years, from the multiple wars to the Islamophobia to the current economic crisis. I mean, most of the time you can trace it all back to that Tuesday in the fall of 2001. It's all somehow connected to that tragedy in one way or another. So how do we deal with it? How do we overcome trauma on both an individual level and on a national level? That's what Jim Whitaker is exploring in Rebirth. And essentially what he did is he took a bunch of time-lapse cameras, cameras that will automatically take a picture on a set interval, and he, uh, he set them up around Ground Zero, the site of the World Trade Center collapse. So as you're watching the film, uh, he incorporates this footage, and you can see exactly how that site has been transformed and rebuilt over the past decade, year by year. So you've got that going on, and then the backbone of the movie is interviews that Jim conducted every year with five primary individuals since September 11th, 2001. And each person that he talks to experienced that event and was affected in a different way. Uh, we, we meet Nick, the, uh, the teenage son of a woman who died in the tower collapse. There's Ling, a Chinese woman who has to deal with the second and third degree burns she's suffered all over her body. There's Tanya, whose fiancé was a first responder killed on that day. And Tim, who was a fireman called to the scene as well. Uh, and, and finally, there's Brian, a construction worker who becomes a project manager for the reconstruction of the World Trade Center. All of these people were affected in a terrible way by this event. And yet the film isn't about what happened that day. It isn't about what went down. It wasn't, it, it, it's not about the collapse of the towers. I mean, most of us saw the news. We've seen the footage of the Twin Towers collapsing. We don't need to see that again. This is a film about recovery, about healing, about dealing with grief and trauma, both on an individual level and by extension as a country as well. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I hear about movies uh, or television shows being made about 9-11, I tend to be a bit cynical. I tend to automatically assume that whoever's making these things, whether it's the World Trade Center movie with Nicolas Cage or that United 93 movie, you know, I tend to want to view it as exploitative. And, and you know, it's just using a traumatic event to play on people's emotions as a cash grab. And, you know, maybe that's not fair. It's just how my brain works. And I'll actually bring that up to Jim in our interview, as you're about to hear. But, but the cool thing about his film Rebirth is that it's actually part of a larger project called Project Rebirth, uh, which, which, which he helped to start. And Project Rebirth is an entirely not-for-profit venture. It's meant to contribute more to the larger social good than your average feature film. A, a Project Rebirth center has been founded to provide multimedia tools to educators, therapists, and other people working with individuals who are recovering from traumatic conflicts in their lives. 
and there will be an installation at the National September 11th Memorial and Museum, which has been built at Ground Zero, uh, which will screen the film Rebirth and several short films related to its subjects. That memorial opens this Sunday on the 10th anniversary of 9-11, and the museum will open in 2012. And all of the money earned by the film will go towards Project Rebirth. So, so anyway, that's a little bit of background information about Rebirth and about Jim Whitaker. As you can see, it's a pretty unique project and one that has national significance, which is why I wanted to have him on the show. I'm going to go ahead now and play the interview I conducted with him about the process of making this film over the past 8 to 10 years, and after that I'll go ahead and say some things about where you'll be able to see it and how you can get more information about Project Rebirth. Uh, So without further ado, let's get real with Jim Whitaker. Hi Jim, welcome to Let's Get Real. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you. You know, this is quite the interesting project because you are the former president of motion pictures um, at Imagine Entertainment. You're now working at Disney. You're mainly a, a big studio producer. But here you are, you're directing your first film. You decided to make your directorial debut a documentary about September 11th. What led you to that decision? Why, why, why this film? Well, it really came from an emotional place, frankly. I, I, uh, and it came from the reality of my experience. I, I went down to Ground Zero uh, a month after September 11th and, you know, saw the debris and, and, and felt this, uh, you know, sense of dread and anxiety and then imagined it to be very different at one point in time. And that gave me a sense of hope. And in that moment, I thought, how could I deliver this emotional feeling of going from dread to hope in a short period of time? And it felt to me the only way to do it was actually through reality, to actually put cameras up, um, have the cameras taking a frame of film every five minutes, 24 hours a day, and tell a real true story that, that was a mirror, frankly, of both the site and eventually the people who I interviewed. So it... it, it, it um, you know, f- frankly, it, 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 it wasn't, it, it started as a, a, a time-lapse installation that I thought might be in a museum that existed. A month later, when I started interviewing the people, I realized that it would become more and that it could become a documentary. So it, it was also as a result of it being a, a really an evolution. You've described this project in other interviews as a quote-unquote human time-lapse project. Now, clearly in the film, you, you've got the, uh, the physical time-lapse photography of the reconstruction site occurring, um, and, and we see that play out on screen. But can you elaborate on what you mean when you say a human time-lapse film? Well, a- after I put the cameras up and, and started the physical time-lapse of the site um, I, I, and spent time at Ground Zero, I started to rec- realize and feel the emotional loss that was taking place and and I realized I needed to capture that human loss and so when I found the 10 people uh, that I began to interview I realized that I would just simply interview them in a, in a way that felt very much like the time lapse I was doing at the site that I would interview them once a year every year in a, in, in a fashion of almost like a frame every year if you will uh, to, to capture where they were emotionally on a year-by-year basis over time. You know, so the phrase human time-lapse sort of emerged again naturally from the, the time-lapse I was doing at the site. Well, it's, that's got to be quite a, a daunting task to set out 
and decide that you're going to to interview people and to to narrow narrow that down to just a few individuals and know that you're going to be meeting with them for years. You know, that's got to be kind of nerve-wracking <laughs> to as you shouldn't think, you know, well, have I picked the right people? You know, what are they going to say? How are they going to change? You know, and 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 to have so many things unknown. So how did you approach that process of narrowing it down and making sure that you found the right people? You know, in in, in determining who the right people were for the film, I, I really looked at it from two perspectives. One was, were, were those people going to be emotionally open enough? Um, I knew that it was going to be, by, by my way of thinking about it, I was going to ask them to go to a deeper place, a, a very emotional place. So I knew they had to have the emotional capacity and openness. At the same time, I also knew it was going to be a very long project. So they had to have an emotional commitment to time. And, and those qualities were, were, were unique unto themselves. Then I simply was also looking for people that were affected by the site in certain ways. So a person from the impact floor where the plane had, had hit who survived, um, a, a, a fireman who had sustained a great deal of, of loss of friends, a young boy who had lost his mother. So once I developed the criteria, then it was about the emotional openness of, of the particular person. And from, from that point of view, it was very um, intuitive. If I felt that they were right, I didn't question whether – I didn't question it at all, frankly. I said, this is the person we're locking in and, and we're going to go, and I'm just going to trust that it's going to end up the, in a way that will feel powerful. And, it, and as far as the, the not knowing of where the stories were going, um, my way of thinking about it was is if I stay present every year and really emotionally engage with where they are, um, my hope is that the process of seeing a human life, time lapse, as it were, go through time, if we can, re- if we can record it honestly and truthfully in, in the moment, then over time, watching them emerge from their grief through to a place that ultimately came out to be a very hopeful place would be, you know, sort of dramatic unto itself. And um, while there was a lot of unknown, I mean, a great deal of unknown, I didn't know where the stories were going to go. I didn't know how their lives were going to turn out. Um, I think at points in the film, you really wonder which way is this going to go. And, and I had the same feeling. Um, I knew that if I just stayed present and trusted in in the process that uh, I had set up with the director of photography that I guess I knew I, I felt knew would be too strong of a word. I felt inside that it would work and I hope it did. How did you go about editing this, this massive amount of footage? I mean, in the, in the film, there are five primary people that you follow over the course of, of 10 years. And then there's also this physical time-lapse stuff that you've got going on. And I imagine that you also had, you know, a ton of other footage of other possible people that, that you were interviewing. How did you go about just dealing with the massive amount of footage that, that you accumulated? Were you editing as you went, or did you just wait, decide to wait in, until the end and just sort of piece it together once, once you had everything? Well, we, we edited a small... A, a portion of the film in order to just continue to raise money. But, but um, the editing of the entire film was a year and a half long process that involved myself and my editor, Kevin Filippini and 
um, who did a, a great job, and, and, and Brad Fuller, of, of really going through what turned out to be about roughly 730 hours of footage. You know, that also included the verite footage that we shot, the B-roll of, 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 our, of our participants. Um, so it was a large amount. In the beginning, I was trying to hold nine subjects. You know, I, I, I did that. So I, so I edited each of the individual journeys of the nine subjects of the film. At a certain point, it became apparent to me, unless I was going to be making a miniseries, <laughs> it was not possible to hold nine, nine characters in the film. So I eventually made the hard decision of reducing it to five characters. And, and the, the, the decision of, was really based on, uh, the, you know, the decision to reduce it to five characters was based on, on really Ground Zero itself and, and the fact that it was a place of loss and, and most of the you know, all of the five characters experienced a certain amount of loss. Um, you know, the film is about is about how we emerge uh, uh, to a hopeful place and a healing place from from a place of loss. And um, and, and these characters, uh, uh, you know, greatly demonstrated that. Um, so it was a, it was a long it was it was a long but you know incredibly rewarding process. I, I have to say, as as hard as it was, it times. It was an incredible privilege to be working with these these interviews and, and this incredible footage that, that we had of, of Ground Zero as it evolved over time. Now, you formed Project Rebirth, the, uh, a nonprofit organization. Uh, I'm curious as to what led to, to that decision. Yeah, I, I felt that the endeavor needed to be really be a philanthropic endeavor. All the proceeds of the film will go into um, a, a, a church teaching and learning center we're creating for first responders to overcome and, and be prepared for grief and trauma. Now, I didn't know that that was a that was ultimately how we would how we would use uh, anything from from the from the film. But what I did know is that the film needed to be a, a, a charitable endeavor, and so uh, uh, we just began the process of raising the money. Um, you know, through a lot of friends, frankly, um, my my good friend Pat Ryan, who who was able to connect us with his father at the Aon Corporation, which sustained a great deal of loss, and and with their help we got started, and then Oppenheimer Funds came on to help us out, and then the Lower Manhattan Development Corporation, as we as we began to spend more time at Ground Zero, and as we were recording the historical, it was a record of the site over time. We, we joined into a partnership with the, the museum at, at, at Ground Zero, and uh, so, so we began to – we continued to make the film with their help. So it, it, it was uh, probably a non-traditional way to, to, to make the film, but I think the right way for the film and, and what we were trying to accomplish in terms of not only having people see the film, but also you know, that, hopefully, that hopefully that it can be helpful to people by, by watching it. Well, well, it's interesting you, you, you went that route because, uh, I mean, a, as you know, throughout the past 10 years, Hollywood has tried several times to, uh, to uh, document the events of 9-11 and, and its effects through both documentaries and oftentimes narrative uh, feature films with big celebrities and, and stuff like that. And at times, you know, those films have been criticized for being a bit exploitative. So I'm I'm curious if that led into your decision to to make it all nonprofit and also you know when you when you were interviewing people 
how you approach that idea of of exploitation because when you're filming any sort of documentary about individuals that obviously is a is a concern yeah i i felt when i engaged with each of the participants in the film um i explained to them that that we were what i was trying to do was make a film that represented their experience as honestly as possible and would be a record of their experience over time and and it was important for me to say you're joining in a project that um that ultimately will have a good record, really, a, a document of, of what happened for people to have and for generations to have for, for years and years to come. You know, I, I, had, um, I had had the idea, you know, when I went down to Ground Zero, but a couple hours earlier, I'd said to my wife I wanted to go down there because if we had children, I wanted to be able to explain to them what the day was like and and – and what what happened basically and the film emerged from that but the intent from the very beginning as i explained to the subjects wasn't um to do anything but to honestly record it for future generations i wanted to have a, a film that exists that you know i hoped that even it's in its rawest form would be um able to be seen 100 200 years from now and be able to say oh this day happened and and here's how the people who experienced it went through it, and here's how the site evolved through it. And so it just it it felt to me like what what we needed to be doing was providing something for the for for, for the public to have. Uh, the, the film itself, all of the raw material of the film, will go to the Library of Congress, for example. So it'll be a permanent record for 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 our country. Um, and so it just it it, it uh, from my earliest conversations with the participants in the film, um, and from my earliest instincts of of the way it needed to be done in the most um, you know authentic way, uh, with with the kind of integrity that I felt was important, it, it needed to be done that way. Now you you also don't include any actual footage of the events on nine eleven in the film. Why did you choose not not to do that? Because it would be very easy to just open up your film with some of that archival footage and really, you know, hook people, bring them back to that moment. But you only include the audio, um, which I thought was a really, really interesting idea and definitely makes your depiction of events very unique. So I'm curious as to why you chose not to include actual footage from, from that day. Well, well, f- filmically, I I honestly felt that it was there wasn't an image I could provide that could be stronger than the image of any individual audience member in their own minds could have of their personal memory of that day, and and so it was intentional. It was it was allow them to hear what was going on, but but in a way allow the, the audience members to to sort of lean into the film by having their own imaginations and memory of where they were on that particular day. And I felt that would be actually more engaging, that the black moments without any images would be stronger than actually providing images for them. The other thing was I, I didn't really feel that people needed to see them again. I, 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 um, the film is about everything that happened after 9-11. It's, it's everything about how we emerged 
through and from that day, how we how we rebirthed, how we how we came to a more hopeful, more healing place from that day. And so everything for me was about the following day. Um, and I wanted uh, so I, I wanted to create an intimacy with the audience for their own personal experience. At the same time, um, I also wanted to let them know that it was a sort of way of kind of saying this is the film is really about the day afterwards and and it's about where we went over the, over the 10 years that followed well speaking of that and and where we've been in the 10 years that have followed your your film keeps things very character driven it doesn't focus a, a whole lot on, on any of the other issues that have arisen due to 9/11 whether it's um, the multiple wars we got into or, or the economy or anything like that. You keep things very individual driven. I'm curious as to why you took that approach. It, it was, uh, it, you know, it was intentional. I, I, I tended to make a film that was, um, was about the emotional experience. My, my, my mother had passed away six months before September 11th. So while it was a very different experience, I, I went into that day with a um, with a feeling of openness uh, when I was at the site to to loss and how loss works, and so from the very beginning, my my curiosity, in a sense, was to investigate how we move through grief and how we, you know, the resilience of of of, of humanity and how resilient humanity can be to get to a different place, and so. It was always from the very beginning my intention to investigate that, and 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 I didn't um, with with the participants in the film. I really didn't in, investigate it. You know, I I went on that first day. I, I had this idea that I would be putting you know a mirror up the site, and 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 I would just simply be recording what happened at the site. At the same time, I was I, I began to put a mirror up to the people, and what I wanted to do, the best of my abilities, was actually to get out of the way and to not not be in the way of the film and just to allow the people who experienced it to, to, to speak themselves of their own experience. And that I thought, I thought that would be the, the, the most um, compelling record of, of how, um, how, how they, how they went through time. And, and, and the mirror that I was putting up to the site was simply going to be a reflection of what happened at the site. It wouldn't be about the politics of the site because I, I, I wasn't interested in investigating it, so um, that's how it. That's really how it. Uh, it, it was intended from the very beginning, and and, and ultimately um, evolved. Well, as you mentioned, it is a film primarily focused on on healing and how people deal with loss. Do you think that America has healed? Do you think that we as a nation are ever going to be reborn, or will we we always kind of live in the shadow of this event that happened? Ten years ago. Well, I, I, it's hard for me to, to, you know, from my perspective as a filmmaker, to kind of know that and 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 I and to know what the what the country will will feel and how the country feels. It's it's a hard place to to come from, to be sure. Um, you know, I, I hope that by focusing on in a micro way on these five people, that anyone who can see the film can, as as I've had the experience of people saying to me at times, is that they go through a kind of journey of, of, of loss to a place of through grieving to a place of, of a more hopeful place. And so I can only, from my perspective, do and say what I can say, which is that I hope by seeing the film, actually it, it, there's a reflection of a grieving process 
that, that it has been going on for the past 10 years and that I think is changing uh, to a more hopeful place. But I can only really say it through the subjects because they're the ones who really experienced it and they show it. And I, and I think that's also, you know what, you know, I, I hope what emerges when, when people see the film. And Okay. Well, Jim, thanks very much for being on the show. Uh, why don't you let our listeners know uh, where they can check out uh, Rebirth and uh, when, they, when they can expect to see it, because I saw the film, I thought it was really great, it's a really uh, intimate portrait of, of the aftermath of 9-11. Um, so uh, what would you like our listeners to know about the film? I appreciate it. We're, the, the film is going to be opening in Los Angeles at the uh, Lem, Royal Lemley um, uh, on Friday the 26th, this coming Friday, and then it'll be at the IFC Center in uh, New York City on the 31st. And then opening up in Washington, D.C. on the 9th of September, uh, followed by a national broadcast um, on Showtime on the 11th. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for, for joining me today on the show. It's been a privilege talking with you. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much. All right. That was my interview with Jim Whitaker about his film Rebirth and the not-for-profit venture Project Rebirth that it's a part of. I'd like to thank him again for coming on this very first episode of Let's Get Real to talk about it. Uh, it, it was great talking with him. Here's some things you should know about the film's release if you're interested in seeing it. It did open in limited release at the end of August and at a few places in New York City and L.A. However, if you're not in those cities, don't worry. It's actually being broadcast on Showtime at 9 p.m. this Sunday on the 10th anniversary of September 11th. So if you have Showtime, check it out then. If you don't have Showtime, you can check out www.projectrebirth.org for more information on special screenings that will be occurring around the country. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, it and other related programming Jim has worked on will be screening at the National September 11th Memorial and Museum once it opens in 2012. So there you have it. Thanks for tuning in to this very first launch episode of Let's Get Real. My goal is to release at least two episodes a month, maybe more than that, but we'll see what happens. We've got some pretty interesting guests lined up for the future, so you'll want to stay tuned for those. As always, you can contact the show by emailing letsgetreal at filmgeekradio.com. You can also comment on the website, www.filmgeekradio.com, and go there to find show notes for each episode. Don't forget, if you like the show, you can subscribe through iTunes. If you're listening to this episode the first weekend of release, be aware it might take a few days for the show to pop up in iTunes because this is a new program. But as soon as you're able to subscribe, I will post a link on the website, so be sure to check there. Um, okay, I think that'll, that'll wrap it up for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm your host, Andrew Johnson, and I'll see you next time on Let's Get Real. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!